Welcome to the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join me as I connect with our alumni, students, industry partners, and researchers to explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make our own future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. Welcome to today's podcast, where I'll be chatting with Andre Richards, a class of 2011 alumnus, who is the Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder at Micrometrics. Welcome, Andre. Thank you. I'm also joined by Melody Habush, a computer science co-op student who is currently working at Clipfolio. Oh, welcome, Melody. So we can start maybe with some, some questions for, some, for our guests. How about you, Andre? What, sure. uh, what got you interested in computer science? <laughs> and... uh, I think that's a really good question. Um, I mean, just to go a little bit more into my background, I was always very much involved with you know, computers in general and, and programming you know, from a very young age. Um, just writing kind of these small programs. And, you know, originally when it came time to choose in a career path, I was originally actually just going to go directly into business. And my dad, my father, was actually an engineer as well. Mm. So he was... Uh, a good guy. A, a good guy. <laughs> a very good influence into kind of saying, well, you know what, you know, you're good at these computers. And, you know, why don't you just kind of formalize that into a, into a computer science degree prior to doing all the business stuff? And I said, sure, that sounds like a great idea. And um, you know, to this day, I'm, I'm very thankful that he pushed me in that direction. I, I learned a lot of things that uh, you know, I wouldn't have come across on my own, so it was definitely helpful for me. What about you, Melody? Uh, for me, uh, I didn't really know much about engineering, didn't have anyone in my family in engineering when I was in high school, but um, I always had like curiosity about phones and software. Um, and my sister, just by chance, happened to pick computer science as her uh, degree, so uh, she started telling me about programming languages and software and then I soon got into it and a lot of like the student associations helped us like integrate and kind of learn faster and get that knowledge in and eventually I found that I love computer science. I started out in computer engineering but okay. found myself in computer science in second year because I enjoyed it more and now I write code and I like it and there's many different aspects to it, creativity too, innovation. Okay. Cool. So to get back to you, Andre, what got you interested in startups after that? <laughs> um, so the thing about startups and anything about computer science as well too is you you get to see the impact of you know the product or the, the change you're working on very immediately, right? Um, what got me into startups was just the ability to kind of create something from scratch to to kind of work on something, take an idea from just a piece of paper to an actual product, and then actually see people use it. So just a little bit of my background too, I kind of, you know, was building software as I was in mm -hmm. university and then I actually worked with a, a very small startup and that was my first, you know, kind of introduction into it. We were actually making uh, HR software 
Um, and to be able to see that, you know, being built and used and that kind of piqued my interest. I originally thought that I was going to go to one of the big companies, you know, an IBM, and I wanted to work on databases and, you know, some corner somewhere. And then once I got into startups, I realized, well, well this is what I want to do, <laughs> you know. Um, so that's how I originally got into startups and then eventually uh, moved on to kind of working on our own products. And once mm -hmm. you kind of get that bug about, you know, building a product on the software and, and seeing other people and driving value, uh, it's very hard to let go. Yeah. How, how, how do you stay... I mean, you're talking about the positive experience of the startups, yeah. but and you're a co-founder, right? Do you also because when I was in a startup 15 years ago, I would go to bed stressed about paying the salary <laughs> of my employees the next. How yep. how do you live through that stress? It is a it is a very real reality. Um, you know, as an early stage founder, you're going to experience a lot of things that that you're just not prepared for, uh, just because you have never experienced them before. Um, there's no way to teach that level of stress for somebody. I don't think you would want to. <laughs> we wouldn't, it, wouldn't you, be, uh, it wouldn't be a great it wouldn't yeah, experience. Be, uh, acceptable, yeah. Um, but eventually, and, and that's when you start to mature, uh, not just with yourself, and then your company starts to mature with you, um, you, you start to put out these fires and you start to get very good at handling these types of situations. Okay. Um, it is a learning process. It's a growing process. It's one that we've been through and we continue to grow. Um, we're not done yet. It's one of those things where... You know, every single week, there's always something else that's growing, and, and that's 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 the fun part of it. You know. Well, one of our alumni did a presentation last week, and uh, he was talking about the importance of living in the discomfort zone. Sounds a little <laughs> bit like that. Living in you the get discomfort. used to it. You yeah. get. Uh, I mean, there, there, you have to embrace the journey, and I think that's one of the important things. If you're getting into startups, thinking that it's going to be a two-year affair and then it's going to end and it's all going to be happy. That's Nobody that's, swoops in to buy you out yeah, nobody, you know, that, that, for billions it's of a dollars. It's a very rare occurrence. Yeah. You know, most of the time, uh, a lot of people forget the important thing is that you're building a business. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we get caught up with the, you know, I'm building an app and it's fancy and all these things, but at the end of the day, you're building a business and mm -hmm. you have to apply a lot of the foundational, um, you know, core foundations of building a business. Um, so I guess my question is kind of like, uh, how do you guys usually deal with this business side of things when um, the product is not doing so well and you have to pivot the idea or um, the or you've got the wrong audience? So how do you deal with uh, sometimes needing to pivot the whole idea or the whole? Um... Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to give you a little bit of background context, we did go through a kind of a big change with our product. Um, the original idea when micro, what Micrometrics was is uh, more about a generic uh, customer experience and feedback platform. Uh, we were aimed specifically at brick and mortar businesses to help them collect you know, very actionable data from their customers and then be able to act on that data. We have multiples of what we call channels, which are just basically deployment methods that you know, a business can use to collect its feedback. So everything from tablets to SMS to Wi-Fi. Um, our original idea was centered around these physical tablets. Uh, the platform itself worked. We, we collected a lot of data. We had a lot of really great proof, proof points, and we, we're still in a few of them today. But we had to make a very significant adjustment because the cost of deployment was just a bit too high. There were, there were a lot of other factors that we weren't prepared to deal with with not a purely SaaS-based product. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, to realizing those things and making those decisions, they're never easy, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're balancing your passion for the product and the original idea versus reality and market conditions where you kind of have to make a decision and say, okay, listen, like we need to do something. 
um, that's going to take us to the next stage. And, and we're not seeing, you know, the numbers that we want as quickly as we want uh, in the areas that we want. Um, so you have to make, you have to be able to objectively remove yourself from that situation and, and make a call. I think that's one important thing and like a quality of working at a startup is something that you don't get to see working in larger companies right. is um, you get to see kind of like the marketing side, you get to see the sales side and uh, you get to kind of grasp all that and you see um, not it's not necessarily failures, but you get to see how the company reacts to these different changes and yeah. when to um, when to like change the product or change uh, get new customers or different target audiences right. which is something that you don't always see uh, in larger companies so I think it's important for students who are starting out to get a little bit of that startup experience yeah and that's definitely one of the the great things about you know students joining startups as opposed to a bigger company early on because you get to see all these things mm -hmm. and not only that but you also get to have an impact or an influence on them right so you're bringing something to the table as well as being a student you're bringing a different perspective you're bringing um, your ideas and one of the strengths of having a smaller company or a startup is you can actually make those adjustments a lot quicker than say uh, You know one of the giant companies that are taking a long time to make a change So mm. it's good that you see see that <laughs> yeah, and It's interesting because we're trying to develop a master's program right now where we will specifically want the students to go do internships in startups right. because of that spectrum of of activity that mm -hmm. you need to do while you're there. You need to learn a lot of people's jobs to be yeah. able mm -hmm. to work there. But I'm still curious as to know how you pick that problem mm -hmm. for your skills. Is it, was the, was, did you, was the problem there and you chose it or, or how did that emerge that, that yeah. the company went into that? So it was an evolution over time. The original idea was mostly about just improving that, that customer experience, oh, okay. that feedback, right? Okay. We, you know, I was, you know, having a conversation with my co-founder and we, we kind of met, um, you know, at one of these accelerators and we talked for a bit and the original idea was, you know, those receipt based surveys that you get that nobody does and, and you have a bad experience and okay. it takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. We originally set out to solve that one problem and we did a fairly good job. We built a platform and we solved that problem. Um, but once we, we, we got to that problem and said, hey, we're going to give you tons of data. We realized that they, they couldn't just use the data. They needed to have something to tell them what, what should I do with this data. Um, we needed different ways of communicating and, and, and collecting this feedback as well. So from solving that one problem, we step by step realized that there was a much bigger problem, a much bigger opportunity that we wanted to continue to solve. Mm -hmm. And then it, it kind of evolved mostly into a very passionate mission for us to, to kind of really open those doors of communication between customer and business. Now you've reached kind of a cool milestone, right? With the tenth million response through your platform, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of volume. That is a it's a huge personal milestone for me. I mean, it's one of those things where you know, if you're a student, if you're a computer science individual, uh, to see a piece of code that you worked on be interacted with by ten million people is is it's astounding. It, and you know, you just go to bed at night feeling like, wow, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> what? Well, congratulations, because so, that's you. very impressive. Yeah. And. What was the part of the university experience that Israel? We we've mentioned the fact that you know those internships in startups ha are extremely valuable. What about what you were doing here? Is there anything you did on campus that that, that gave you some preparation? Because I realize how different it is from the university world, but does it connect to some aspects of your your work here? Ab absolutely, um, <clears throat> and I think I was a little bit fortunate because the program that I picked was a mix between very, you know, 
in-depth computer science and engineering, and then I also had a lot of the business side of it. So going into the startup world, I felt a bit more prepared than say I was just an engineer or somebody who had just done uh, a business. I, I, I felt I had a good balance of both. Where it's helped me specifically is, you know, understanding the fundamentals of the, the you know, the, all the tools and the infrastructure that we use and we can build that. So we can achieve very high efficiency with our, our applications and our platforms and manage tons of data very efficiently because I have a very in-depth knowledge about the underlying database and all the mm -hmm. different things that actually get used. Um, it's not impossible for a lot of other people to achieve a certain thing, but they, you know, a lot of times it tends to be a lot more surface level, whereas we can go into a lot more detail and a lot more depth. What about you, Melody? You've been in several different sizes of companies. How, how does it connect to your experience as a student? Um, I think a lot of things that we learn, like, in school, uh, does, like, the basics does help, and it gives you, like, one foot in the door. Um, but I think something that is uh, sometimes overlooked is honestly just your leadership and soft skills and communication skills mm -hmm. and how you interact with your team and how you communicate ideas, um, how you come up with new ideas. So I think having like um, participated in a lot of like school clubs and association, it also gives you uh, kind of like another foot in the door and uh, kind of like a contact for these companies. And uh, it kind of gives you an like an idea of how these companies work and helps you decide like what wh where you'd want to work. So I think one experience that helped me was working at a big company like IBM and I realized it's not for me. And then now working at Clipfolio, it gives me more of a feel that I like and um, I get to touch on different things and not just be a software developer. I get to do a lot more things, mm -hmm. um, contribute my ideas. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one thing in school that made a difference in how I work in teams and how I bring ideas is a class that I took that was a leadership class. So it was leadership in science and engineering. And in that class, we got to uh, do some organizing of events and we got to learn different, uh, different personality types and different leadership styles. Uh, and that helped me kind of in my like everyday experiences, not only in school, but also in co-op mm -hmm. and working with different types of people. And Yeah, I think that's a really uh, something I overlooked as well, too. Just that interaction and that being able to, to kind of coordinate with your teams. Mm -hmm. It's very valuable and very important in the startup mm -hmm. world. And you raise communications, and it's one of the key um, feedback that we get from the employers for our, our co-op students is that mm -hmm. communication is one of the most important skills that they want them to develop. What about you, uh, Melody? You went from computer engineering to computer science, and it raises an interesting question because of a lot of our incoming students and new students are not sure exactly what's the difference. Now, you've chosen one of these. Can you tell us a little bit more? Okay, so when I started in computer engineering, I realized a lot of the third and fourth year courses are more hardware-based, uh, and um, to me, the software side was more interesting. So I would have been okay with software engineering or computer science, and a lot of people don't understand necessarily the difference, but software engineering, um, to me, it would be helpful if you are looking to learn also like a lot about how to gather requirements and uh, the software lifecycle, and a lot of those things are important. And I think um, for me, I chose computer science because I, I can take those courses, mm -hmm. and it's a very flexible degree, and I can take lots of electives. Okay. And I got to take the course, like the engineering leadership course. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think one advantage of software engineering is the number of co-ops they have and the mandatory co-ops. 
So you can almost, I think you can take up to five to six co-ops, mm. which to me, I think one really important uh, aspect of your bachelor degree should be um, co-op because you get to go into these companies. You get to try. You don't always have to go back to the same one. You get to try different things and work in smaller companies, bigger companies, mm. try marketing. Even you don't always have <laughs> yeah. to do software development. So, What I about your, your team at Micrometrics? Is yeah. it a mixture of all of these type of people or is it more focused the people you're hiring um on the engineering team or yeah well in general uh, not the business side but yeah. the, the the technical side yeah absolutely it, it is a definitely a mixed uh kind of approach we have a lot of guys from software engineering we have some guys from computer science um you know and everybody kind of comes in with you know different sets of skills some are front end some are back end uh some are involved on the devops side but we always we have a, a slightly interesting approach uh, when we ingest, in, you know, engineers, we kind of help them identify where they want to grow into. Mm. And then we facilitate a lot of growth that way. Well, that's really interesting and really challenging also for yeah. the, <laughs> the, the younger people arriving yeah. in. Do you need to retrain the technical side a lot? Or do you just add some, some specific skills? It really depends. They're interesting. There, there are certainly, um, especially since, you know, the, the industry is always evolving so quickly, and new tools are always coming out, and, and we always have to stay on top of those. And there's a lot of things that you just, you know, you just don't get exposure to from an early, early stage. But at the same time, too, a lot of the fundamentals still apply. You know, writing good algorithms, writing good uh, code. Um, it's less of a retraining type of approach, but more just kind of, you know, every engineering team is slightly different, and you know, making sure that the way that we do things is communicated very clearly mm -hmm. um, so that they can actually feel, you know, they can get up to speed pretty quickly and start contributing code to the, to, the, to the project. Now, you're based in Ottawa. Yes. Why aren't you in Silicon Valley? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking for a positive answer. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a really, uh, that's a really, really important question because early on, and things have actually started to change, but early on, that would be the norm. You would kind of start a company in Ottawa or Canada, and then you would grow to a certain size, and then once you hit that size, you would kind of be kind of tempted down to Silicon Valley. Um, personally, I have always loved Ottawa. I, I think it's a fantastic place, a fantastic city. It's gorgeous, it's clean, it's beautiful. Um, but practically, from a business standpoint, there's a lot of really great reasons to build uh, a company here and to continue to build your company here. Um, there's a lot of talent. You know, Ottawa U is, you know, quite a lot of talented engineers and, and people coming out. Um, the ecosystem is starting to grow. Uh, the city itself is a very good quality of life compared to, you know, going somewhere like Toronto or, or even in Silicon Valley where, you know, just living expenses are, are ballooning out of control. Um, all of these factors are kind of uh, playing to say, hey, you know what, like, this is actually a really, really great city. And believe it or not, uh, a lot of people are actually leaving the U.S. and leaving Silicon Valley to come to places like Ottawa and Toronto to, to continue to build and grow their companies. Okay. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of jobs being taken over by AI right now. So I'm kind of curious. I've spoken to some students <laughs> in computer science who are yeah. actually concerned about their future. Right. How do you see that, Melody? And then I'll ask you, Andre. Are you worried, Melody? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think there's... I, I think the SaaS um, like area is kind of oversaturated and there's there's a lot happening in software as a service. But I think in terms of uh, writing software and development, I think it's always there's always going to be room for that. And I'm not too worried. <laughs> Maybe Andre can add to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, the way that we 
look at AI and machine learning and that kind of stuff. It's 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 a very powerful tool. Um, I think you know whenever there's a new tool or a new kind of uh, approach to solving problems, um, you know there's a lot of hype around it, right? There's mm-hmm. this speculation that you don't really know exactly what's going to happen, and then when the dust starts to settle, you see where those things apply very strongly. Um, things like image recognition and that kind of stuff, you know, in the medical space, AI is, is making a huge impact in terms of identifying, you know, different, uh, you know, types of illnesses and that kind of stuff a lot quicker and a lot more accurately than um, a human could in certain circumstances. Um, in other areas too, AI, you know, what it is, it's it's a tool that can actually assist. Um, and in some of those, some of those areas, um, instead of replacing the actual individual, it gives them an uncanny ability to actually, you know, be a lot better at their job. I know, I know from my perspective, what we're trying to do is also to do a little bit more STEAM and not, not exclusively STEM. And I think right. those are things that you've both alluded to. Mm-hmm. That spectrum of abilities, know-how, uh, capabilities that you have, hopefully that will help. Because, of course, we have the concern for our students to make sure that we're preparing them for a a right. proper job market, but mm-hmm. some of bringing in that creativity and that breadth of experience hopefully is going to be a, a, a useful way of, of helping out and making sure that our students are, can hit that job market afterwards properly and for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. And for yeah. a long time. I think also employers, when they're hiring, a lot of things they look at is how the student thinks and right. um, for them being like creative thinkers and critical thinkers and kind of the engineering and arts side together is really something that stands out for employers, and I'm sure. That yeah, you know. absolutely. I think it's a really interesting thing because for us, or for myself personally, I'm, I'm a very, you know, I consider myself to be actually very creative. Yeah. I play a lot of music and that kind of stuff as well, too. And and the way I look at it sometimes when you're, when you're opening up, you know, your editor or whatever it is, and it's all blank, it's a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very hard to replicate <laughs> from, from an AI standpoint, you know. Uh, you need that creative aspect as well. Uh, to help you facilitate in those decision-making processes. And, and that's something we definitely look for when we bring students in as well. Now, how about, how do I get to trust you guys with all, with guys, with all of my data? I mean, that, that's <laughs> another topic, and maybe we can make a whole discussion on that. Yeah, but yeah. you're definitely in that in that zone, right? Right. Where security is very important. Yeah. And so how do you guys deal with that? Do you have like specialized teams or a focus or how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting because that's been definitely in the spotlight over the last, you know, weeks, a few months ago. And even earlier, um, you know, I think it was early last week, we heard about another breach that was kind of similar to where we were at. Um, I tend to use a lot of empathy with our guests and our users and, and kind of think about, well, how would I want my data to be handled? Uh, you know, and, and I would put myself in that situation, and I think I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position to, to dictate what's a priority. And for us, we do make, you know, data privacy and security a, 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 you know, a very big priority, and we'll always continue to do that. Um, we know, you know, there was always going to be concerns. Um, just based on the type of business we are, we'll never get into the habit of selling that data mm. to third parties. But there are, you know, there is a certain responsibility on the individual as well to know that these things that you're signing up for, that, you know, you have to know what they're going to do with your data. Uh, and it's becoming even more relevant today. Yeah, it's not just membership points and things like no, that. No, it's a, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of correlation yeah. that you can do with even yeah. just, you know, anonymous meta, metadata, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, there's a little bit of onus on the consumer to actually be aware of that. But at the same time, there is responsibility on the, mm. you know, the builders of these products because not everybody is going to do that. So you have to take a little bit of care. 
Have you seen a, a, an importance to that melody in the um, jobs you've had? Or? I think one thing that is that a lot of students, especially even first year, second year, up to third year, don't know about is like these DevOps and security roles. So um, we don't we don't learn a lot about security, and they're not always aware that they can take classes about like even just web security mm-hmm. and learn that on their own. So I think even as developers, we need to know kind of that security aspect. Yeah. Um, just like knowing like some of the top vulnerabilities, like knowing that is very important. I think um, if students somehow land on there's like a lot of activities at school. They're called CDFs, like capture the flag. And a lot of like security conferences that are very like developer and like, um, like very beginner friendly. Um, so I think it's important for students to try kind of. I think that's what co-op does. You can kind of find your own niche. Right. Sometimes you want to be a front end developer. Sometimes you want to be in DevOps, and that's something you find when you're when you're getting hands on experience. And it's okay for you to move into different mm. niches. Yeah, absolutely. So and, security and aspect is definitely overlooked, and DevOps yeah. and. That's what I was thinking as you were talking. Being in the co-op program yeah. exposes you perhaps sooner to those yeah. issues than yeah. it would have otherwise. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Whenever we try to bring co-op students, and we, we mm-hmm. kind of don't just pigeonhole them into one area. Yeah. Um, and if you know co-op students can find other areas where they can you know explore and say, hey, you know what, I have an interest in this as well. Yeah. That gives them a, a little bit of an idea of where they want to take their own careers. Mm. So in, um, in the last year in the Faculty of Engineering, we've identified technology for digital transformation of society as one of our major themes now. So hopefully we'll be able to continue to connect with you guys and, and, and the, the whole tech hub in Ottawa, which is huge, but a well-kept secret yeah. until recently, <laughs> as you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of hardworking people in the city, and this is the interesting thing. Um, you know, we tend to put our heads down and kind of mm. continue to work and build companies. And then what would happen is before somebody from the S would just come and scoop them up. But uh, now they're starting to spread their wings. And, and you know, it would be great to tap into the universities as well and, yeah. and have that kind of be a, a, a mutual relationship. That and we're moving to Canada next winter. Oh, perfect. By <laughs> early of the year, I'm not sure the exact date, we'll be opening our first uh, space out in Canada. Okay. It'll start small. We want to grow and we want to help the students connect with the employers and also the researchers out there. So I think there will be more and more opportunities to be able to connect and what's going on in the tech sector. Absolutely. Which, and the tech hub, I mean, it's now as large as the, the number of jobs in the tech hub are as numerous as those in the government right now. Yeah. So we've reached a point where the Ottawa tech hub is actually biggest in Canada. So that that's all good. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it is. Amazing. It's huge. Yeah. How, but you talked about... You know, the different expertise, uh, the importance of creativity yeah, in yeah, your yeah. company. But how do you handle it? Are you, are you relying on the technical people to be creative or do, a, do you actually bring in some people with a more creative yeah, background? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a little bit of a challenge. Um, we do have, like, you know, product designers and, 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 you know, designers in there helping us build the products. But even on the very technical side of it, you're because you're a startup, you're always solving problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes these are problems that are known. Sometimes these are unknown problems. And that's where the creativity comes mm-hmm. in. It's a process of getting to, of thinking, you know, it's not just, you know, you have a script and you execute on that script. You have to kind of think about it from a holistic standpoint yeah. and look at it and say, you know what, I think there's a better way. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the that's the creativity starting to come out, right? Yeah. That's when you start to say, you know what, I could solve this one the first way, but what if I what if I you know is this going to grow? Is this going to scale? Can I solve this a better way, a different way? Um, and then that's the kind of 
thing that I try to instill in my team and I kind of give them a little bit of freedom to think more about the problem and not just pick the low hanging fruits, but actually to dig a little bit deeper. And then eventually it becomes a fun challenge. It's like, you know, we get together as a team and then one person says, oh, I know to solve it this way. And then somebody else will, I think I have a better way. And then we kind of, you know, back and forth and then we get something really creative at the end. Yeah, we had a couple of student teams go through that last summer because what Melody was referring to is we have two very large pieces of art in the STEM complex, you know, which are scaled up version of tabletop projects that they did last winter. And, And they're interactive technological artworks. And what we did last summer is we hired four students from arts, four students from engineering, mixed them up, had them each work on one of the uh, works of art. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is what you describe is very much what at least one of the teams went through right, right. In, in adjusting their design. And the really fun part is after a few weeks, it is completely dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they cannot work. They cannot stand the presence mm-hmm. of each other after a few weeks. Right. right. I was... And then they need to be coached and mentored and helped through that. And after that, what they do is spectacular. Right, right. Yeah. But that, that mix of extremely polarized perspectives right. is, is while it's an asset, you need to help them get through it because yeah. they just cannot stand each other's presence. I was going to say, that's actually a very important point that you brought up because you're in the real world, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. You're going to yeah. get... A lot of, you know, very, you know, you know, hands in the code mm-hmm. type of guys who are, you know, not so great at communicating sometimes, but they know how to solve problems. And then you get these requirements come in and these people who have these grand ideas. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to work together. Yes. Right? I so think yeah. that's where uh, like coaching and mentorship comes in because a lot of people don't have that skill and then they right. come in and they start to learn that skill. So yeah. these people who are very technical mm-hmm. and they know how to write their code, but sometimes they don't really know how to explain it to someone else. Right. right? right so right, yeah. having that is a skill yeah. that's so, it's so, so valuable. Yeah. But once you get it, your team starts to, to yeah. work, you know, and you do some peer programming, you teach others what you know. And exactly. Yeah. Well, for what I've read, creativity can be taught. Mm-hmm. Know, there are mm-hmm. techniques to do that. So mm-hmm. we can get everybody yeah. working on, but, but, it's just not necessarily your natural perspective. Yeah, initially you're you're focusing. You know, I know as a as a software as a computer science uh, individual, you're you're taught to solve problems. You're taught yeah. to break them down into small yeah. Yeah. manageable chunks, and you get really good at doing that. And then when somebody throws a wrench into that process, yeah. you know, you're like, I know how to solve this problem. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. now I have to think about all these other things. But like, it's a pro, it's a growing process. You yeah. Know? So, I have yeah. a question for you. Yeah, sure. Like specifically for you being like the CTO. Yeah. yeah so yeah. a lot of times you have to like decide which products to use, which tools, mm-hmm. um, maybe even bringing in new partners. So like, how do you do that? Well, you talked about scalability. So how do you? Um, decide on these products, these softwares. Do you want to use integrate in your product mm-hmm. while thinking about scalability and solving that? So when problem? you say products that we want to integrate, you mean like small um, libraries, small tools? Just... Yeah, even just a library, simple library. Because yeah. I know sometimes you have to think about it more than like at, me as a developer. I'd be like, oh, let's just use this library. But... <laughs> right, right, right. So there's a number of different factors that we consider. Um, you know, security, obviously, mm-hmm. how well maintained it is, uh, how easy to use, how well documented it is, um, whether or not it's actually going to be, you know, a short-term solution with a long-term problem okay. or if it's actually going to help us out throughout the entire thing, right? Um, so we do a lot of that and just kind of, you know, vetting, like, is this something that actually, do we even need this to begin okay. with? Is this something that we can write our own, um, and that, that's always a balance because sometimes yeah. it's not a good idea to write your own. If yeah, you're doing yeah. encryption, if you're doing something like that, you don't want to continuously write and maintain your own thing. Sometimes there are very um, 
industry accepted you know solutions that you can incorporate which will benefit from frequent updates mm -hmm. so you always have to think about all of these different mm -hmm. angles about you know well am i this thing that i'm going to you know, either create myself, well, I have to maintain it now. Mm -hmm. um, and you it's have to have a team for it. It's a team for it. It's my problem. It's my, it's my thing now. Um, versus if I bring this thing from the outside, it's going to come with documentation. It's going to come with all these other things. Um, and it's standardized. So it's not my way of doing it. It's kind of been used by thousands of people and there's a standard to it. Mm -hmm. um, those are all the things we evaluate when we look at, you know, integrating different pieces into our code base. Okay. Um, similar things when we evaluate who we want to integrate with and how do we actually um, choose, you know, platforms to integrate with. That's a more, it's a technical and business decision. So we, you know, there's something called a property management system, a PMS, and there's dozens of them out there and we have to evaluate each one and kind of see, well, does this make sense for us in terms of, is the similar stack, is it going to be easy to integrate with and is it going to make sense for our clients? Okay. Yeah. That's a very good answer. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Wait, I have a question for both of you now. Sure. So one thing that I focus on with everything that I do, so being at work or like clubs and association, is mentoring other people. Mm -hmm. And um, I also find a lot of mentors, like even people I reach out to on LinkedIn, they'll give me like advice. Mm -hmm. And so one thing for both of you is um, how in every day, what you do every day, how do you create young leaders and how do you mentor them to develop important skills for them to um, to be able to integrate and someday become a better leader. Yeah. And it, sometimes it means be, be a better leader. So I was reading this article. It was like, you're a good leader if you're replaceable. So how do you, if you're not there one day at work, <laughs> how do you make sure that people still function correctly? Yeah. So that's one question. I, I, that's a very accurate statement. Um, we always use the, the analogy of a pyramid, right? Okay. And, and when you're an early stage company, there's not that many people. Mm -hmm. But mentally, you should have this idea of this, this pyramid structure. And you just imagine your face in a lot of those positions, <laughs> right? <laughs> your role, your job is, as the years go on, to slowly start replacing yourself from each of those positions. So mm -hmm. you can bring in people and, and or you can grow them into those positions so they can bring in others, right? Um so when we talk about, you know, our engineering team and figuring out, you know, um, where do you want to grow? You know, you might come in as a front-end developer, but maybe you, have you start to get interest in, in the back-end and security and that kind of stuff. We try to facilitate that from a standpoint. And then we also kind of slowly kind of grow you into a role where now you're starting to pass along that knowledge to, you know, new individuals coming in or new interns or new, new students. So that's the type of approach we always take to use in, in that pyramid structure where, we always want to have, you know, an individual kind of go up mm -hmm. a little bit and then also kind of impart some of that knowledge, you know, because it is valuable knowledge. Mm -hmm. You spend all this time, you're very familiar with the code base, you understand it. Um, and that's internally, we try to do that. Externally, um, I, I try as much as I can to, yeah. to mentor and give back and you know, be involved in, you know, small companies because if I can save somebody <laughs> half of the headaches that we went through, that's a win, regardless yeah. of whether I get anything out of it, right? Um, and, and as a company, we've, we've, we've seen it all. <laughs> so if, if, there, if I'm the kind of person that I love learning without having to touch the stove mm -hmm. to know that I'm going to burn myself, mm -hmm. uh, and thankfully I've had some good mentors who have been able to point me in the right direction, so the least I can do is kind of point others in the same direction as well. Yeah. What well, about not, on the academic side? Yeah, yeah, I don't do daily mentoring specific with people, but mm -hmm. my approach has always been to share as much of the experience as I mm -hmm. can. Yeah. I, I do it with colleagues, not yeah. just with, with students and with other people. 
And that communication, I think, is fundamental to develop so that the other pe- person understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. And so if they can understand that, they then they can decide whether they, I have something to bring to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, I've learned speaking through sev- with several people recently that you actually need several different types of mentors as yeah. you're developing your career. Yeah. You can't have, you could have just one person, but yeah. then in a way you'll become a clone of that person. Yeah, right? and you're so not growing in the same right. way. That's right. So everybody yeah. who's, who's developed uh, as really terrific professionals and leaders and all that are talking usually about more than one mentor mm-hmm. and yeah. different types of mentors. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a lunch with five alumni a couple of weeks ago where they were talking specifically about that. And we were asking them about women students mm-hmm. and how do we help them and what kind of mentors. And they said it was very important to have men and women mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They needed both perspectives and they needed people at different stages of their career, different types of people in different types. So I think that mix is very important. Mm-hmm. So we try to do that. We have some extraordinary profs who are fantastic yeah. mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and it's easy to think of, think of a few of them. But also, I think that mix is important. And, and for my part, I just share as much information about what I'm doing when I'm talking with the students, when I'm mm-hmm. talking with colleagues. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be, I think it's all about concrete examples sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to help just to, to sort of shine a little bit of a light yeah. down yeah. down the road. I think that's something really important because yeah. I have academic mentors. Like I have mentors who are professors who early on just mentored me. Um, how to solve problems and mm-hmm. how to like think and write code mm-hmm. and those mentors are probably the ones who made me k- stay in computer mm. science and right. motivated yeah. me to yeah. keep There's, going yeah and, and it, there was so there was a really important uh thing about that about just you know the idea of um sharing your experience mm-hmm. and, and just the fact that when you were saying it earlier well how did you guys you know get through all these tough times and all this mm-hmm. stuff too and sometimes just hearing somebody else say like oh yeah we've been through that or we've done mm-hmm. that Sometimes that's enough just to give you yes. that extra, like, okay, so it's not the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be okay. I'll still wake up tomorrow morning. I'll yeah. have all my limbs and it'll be fine. And we all know? look for that. And right? we all look to try for and that. get through that's the good. really hard part, parts. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And then when it comes to academic mentors, I remember it because it was, it was a very distinct uh, professor that I had here. And I remember taking uh, operating systems okay. um, with uh, Gilbert Arbez, I believe. And, mm-hmm. and I remember everybody saying, this is such a hard class. It's going to be difficult. Are you sure you want to take it? And I was like, well, I'm interested, but yeah. you know, if you're going to try to scare me out of it, let me, <laughs> let me take at least, you know, two classes and yeah. make up my mind. Wait, it wasn't mandatory when you No, and it was optional. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't mandatory <laughs> this, for this me. This is the thing, right? <laughs> and then so I, I hop into class and I sit there and, and like he was such a good professor and I actually ended up being one of my favorite classes. Okay. And so that takeaway was, you know, don't get scared off by all these different things, but it's mm-hmm. important to, he was in, in the way he presented it as a, as a prof and a mentor and kind of stuff, taught mm-hmm. me that, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had in these seemingly difficult challenges, right? And once you apply yourself, it's really good. So, you know, it's not something we sat down and discussed, but it yeah. just by the way that he did things, yeah. it taught me a lot about yeah. how I approach these difficult problems. Yeah. And that's the thing about mentors. Like, you'll have a prof who will just even just explain something very basic to you and you learn something from that you learn yeah. how to explain a problem you learn how to talk to you take students. away little pieces yeah. of it yeah so yeah. like even me when i worked as a ta or when where i worked as an engineering mentor that taught like taught me that i need to know the very basics to be explaining like more like even you have to know the very very basic concepts mm-hmm. to be able to explain it and right. sometimes you forget that and you relearn it and i think that's one skill as a mentor you kind of have to like take a bit of how profs, you can take from good profs and you can take from bad profs and learn how to explain basic concepts Mm -hmm. and mentor new people and explain problems, I think. 
So I want to thank both of you for being here today well, very thank you much. For having me. Thank uh, thank you. Andre Richard from Micrometrics and Melody Habouche, one of our uh, undergrad students in computer science. I want to thank both of you for that really interesting conversation. Next episode will be slightly different. I'll be joined by my counterpart in the Faculty of Arts, Dean Kevin Key, as we connect with U Ottawa students Devon Shaw from the Faculty of Engineering and Sarah Hodgson from the Faculty of Arts to discuss their summer 2018 experience in a very special project that mashed tech and creativity with amazing results. Their reflections provide a different perspective on how our next-gen innovators will help make the future. Before we finish, I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for joining us for today's discussion. If you have comments or questions, please email us at genie.engineering at uottawa.ca. That's G-E-N-I-E dot engineering at uottawa.ca. Or visit us at our faculty webpage, engineering.uottawa.ca. I also want to thank everyone who contributed to the writing, production, and editing of this podcast, including Francis Bertrand Lafrenière, Valérie Sanson, and Carl Borns. Salut à vous tous. See you next time. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it.